welcome to Southern Fried Pop Culture. I'm one of your hosts, Mandy Kay. And I'm Kelly Lee. Each week, we're going to talk about our experiences of Southern culture through the lens of stories that are set in the South, feature Southern characters, or are Southern flavored in some way. And we're going to do it while we drink. You're supposed to be drinking Southern drinks, but tonight I'm having hot chocolate with Bailey's, and I don't really think that's Southern, but I'm going to go with it anyway. <laughs> what are you drinking, Kelly? I am sipping whiskey neat again tonight. This this is just kind of a raw movie, and it felt like a straight-up liquor kind of thing. Oh, I totally understand. It's just, it's cold in this <laughs> closet where I'm recording, and I wanted hot chocolate, so yeah. I just put some booze in it. <laughs> There you go. I did think about swirling a little bit of honey in the whiskey, just in tribute to the honey in the movie, but I didn't do it. So Okay. It's just whiskey. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So on this show, our structure comes from our amazing theme song written by our friend Jazzy Bentley. So we'll talk about the movie in three different sections. Southern culture in general, the bless your heart or problematic moments, and the things that we loved that tickled us pink. This week, we're talking about Fried Green Tomatoes, a 1991 comedy drama based on the novel Fried Green Tomatoes at the Whistle Stop Cafe by Fanny Flagg. It stars Kathy Bates, Jessica Tandy, Mary Stuart Marsterson, and Mary Louise Parker. Now, my entire life, I have always mixed up Mary Stuart Masterson and Mary Louise Parker, and I directly blame this movie for that. I could see how that would happen. Always. <laughs> I could see how that would happen. And they're they're good Southern style names too. They really are the two parts. Yeah, yeah, they really are. They really are. It's a great cast. It really is. Um, I love that this is the second Jessica Tandy movie that we've done on the show. Yeah, and me too. I just adore her. She was fantastic in this. I will not be hating her character in this one. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I really think that this was so well cast, and everyone just did a fantastic job in this, and um, it was great. Uh, Do you want to go first talking about the Southern culture experience that you thought was authentic when you were watching it? Um, Sure. So it's funny because there is a real Whistle Stop Cafe in Juliet, Georgia, which is not far from where I used to live, and I have been there, and it's awesome. And I have a thing for small town cafes. Um, and I love fried green tomatoes, so it made me homesick watching some of the scenes in this, and it and it did feel very authentic. And I've always wished that I could learn how to cook them, like actually cook real fried green tomatoes. Okay, but my my cooking skills are dreadful <laughs> on a good day, and like set the entire kitchen on fire on a bad day. So I've never developed that skill. Um, <laughs> but you but could. I you could. Uh, it just takes practice. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. I believe in you, Kelly. You can do it. I've never had the kind of fun in my kitchen that they have in their kitchen. <laughs> I don't think most people maybe. have that kind of fun in their kitchen. <laughs> maybe if there was that kind of fun to be had, I would be a little more interested in. Learning. All right. <laughs> um, but it did strike me. I guess because maybe this was more associated with people in poverty that it felt a little more like home, having a little more free reign of like running around outside all day. Um, There was a time in my life between probably like fifth grade and 
maybe ninth grade where we lived close to a big uh, acreage of woods and out in those woods there were acres and acres and acres of woods and there was a dam and a pond and there was a railroad track out there and these pathways and just we would get home from school and take off and stay out there until it was time to come in for Mm -hmm. dinner and you know that was the first place I smoked a cigarette and the first place that I French kissed a boy and like the woods were just like where everybody went and hung out and you stayed out there all day and um it was just kind of a, a you know a rustic rural sort of wild child childhood and it it very much felt authentic and felt like home to me so and then the there was a line at the beginning when um Iggy's sister was crying about her wedding and someone said try to act a little grateful young lady and if i had a dollar for every time i heard that as a kid i would be very welcome oh. today <laughs> like that was very authentic and using little bit as a common nickname for tomboys that was that was definitely a thing I think when I was in school, um, like there was always a girl on the basketball team who was a little bit like I had a cousin that was very athletic. She was a little bit. It just seemed to be kind of a common nickname. And I don't know if that was just something in my experience or if it was more common in the South, but I noticed it in this movie. And when Kathy Bates character, Evelyn said, I never get mad. And she was sort of representing that Southern patient sweet kind of woman I just cracked up because that is the complete opposite of me in every way shape or form um I have a you know I very much have a temper um and I've never been able to maintain that southern belle calm <laughs> passion-free personality so it was it's kind of the exact opposite for me um, but I think the thing that resonated with me the most is sort of this weaving of stories that make us who we are you know, stories of family or stories of the town or stories of friendship. And the the role of storytelling and the storyteller is so strong in this movie. And that definitely felt like home to me. What about you? What was authentic to your experience of the South as you saw it in this movie? Oh, so much. So much. Even though this is Southern from a, an earlier generation, from a, a previous era, you know, I saw mm-hmm. a lot of my grandparents in this movie and, and kind of how they were. Particularly, the one that cracks me up the most was uh, Miss Threadgood talking to Evelyn right when she first meets her, talking about how she just went and had a fleet enema. Did you know they took my gallbladder out? Uh, no, I didn't. Oh, yes. Still in the hospital in a jar. I guess that's where they keep them. I guess. When I was in the hospital, the nurse gave me one of them fleet enemas this is fond of. Mrs. Cleo Threadgood, 82-year-old widow, imagine that. <laughs> Actually, everybody calls me Minnie. Of course, I'm just visiting here. Did you ever have one of them fleet enemas? <laughs> like, you don't talk about that in polite company, especially to a stranger, but... You know, there's a generation of people who do that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. um, it can be very uncomfortable at times. And you just kind of have to smile and nod and be polite like Evelyn was. And um, that just, it cracked me up because Mr. Redgood had 
like no filter whatsoever. Everything she was thinking came out and it, it was funny. The ability to be a storyteller and recall what happened 50 years ago or gosh, in her case, 70 years ago. And that's something that my granddaddy could do. My papa could do, you know, any day they could Mm -hmm. sit down and tell you what happened on a particular Thursday in February in 1955. I can't remember what happened yesterday. And so I am in complete (laughs) awe that they can do that. And I don't know if that's a Southern thing, if that's just uh, a generational thing. Because the only people I know who who do that are generally older. And in this movie, especially, Ninny was older. But that's that's something I've always lived with is, is sitting at the kitchen table when I go to my grandma and granddaddy's house. And, you know, we would always sit around with my granddaddy and just listen to him tell stories. And mm-hmm. when I was at my other grandparents' house, my granny and papa, we would sit in the living room. And I was the only grandchild there, so it was a much more intimate setting. And papa would just... Just tell me stories about, you know, driving a school bus on dirt roads and gravel roads. And when we were driving through the country, he would tell me how everything had changed and what was different about it. And that's just something that really, really resonated with me, even though I don't understand how they do it. (laughs) Right, right. There are a few very, very specifically Southern traits that that I saw in this movie um and it was called out and kind of joked about a few times um when Evelyn is talking with her friend Missy about all of the different classes that they're taking you know what we really need instead of this baloney is an assertiveness training class for southern women but that's a contradiction in terms isn't it (laughs) but that's a contradiction in terms isn't it like she acknowledges right there that Southern women aren't assertive. <laughs> you just don't do that. Right. <laughs> and I mean, and the line that you, that you just talked about when Evelyn said, when she was talking to Mr. Edgut about running into the car, you know, she says, I never get mad ever. The way I was raised, it was bad manners. And that's exactly mm-hmm. it. You know, it's that whole women, Southern women, you're raised to be sweet. You don't get mad. Mm-hmm. And right. and then just right. just watching Evelyn trying so hard to do everything that she thinks she's supposed to do, trying so hard to be a good wife to her husband, to have dinner on the table when he comes in from work every single day, even though he barely talks to her, he picks it up, he goes, sits down in front of the TV. You know, she's taking these classes. She is trying everything she possibly can to make things work. You know, she tries so hard with her husband's aunt, even though every single time she gets run out of the room, she still goes in there smiling, knowing what's going to happen. And that is absolutely a trait of a good Southern woman. Yes, I agree. And, and it's really funny hearing you explain it like that and thinking, because when I see Evelyn's character, I just keep thinking, this is my like exact opposite. Mm -hmm. And, but my family, you know, like growing up, I've always heard, you know, Kelly, you have got to calm down or you have got to settle yourself down if you want to get married or you've got to learn how to cook. Actually, that was one on the list. Or you've got to control your temper. You've got to rein this in or you have to curb your intelligence a little a little or don't sound so smart in front of the boys you're going to scare them off or like there is kind of this like constant coaching to become 
like this eligible Southern woman mm-hmm. um, that I just never, obviously never learned how to take. Right. Um, but I think it, I think it was to become Evelyn and I am anti-Evelyn <laughs> in every way, shape or form. And, but I admire her. I mean, there's a, there's a, a, a strong sweetness to mm-hmm. her that I don't have, you know, and, and it would be nice to be able to channel that sometimes, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and I think that she, she plays it well. I'm, I was glad to see her become more assertive, but I do think that that's the message that Southern girls hear. Oh, absolutely. You know, when, when they're growing up. You're supposed to be less than so that the man in your life or the man that you're going to get can be more than. That's yeah. what we're taught. That is a perfect summary. You just knocked that out of the park. And I think the great thing about this movie is that they do a really good job of showing that, but also subverting that by giving us Iggy's story. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, as I was listening to you talk about how you, how you're the opposite of Evelyn, I think that kind of means you're Iggy a little bit, you know, <laughs> you're, you're fiery and, and you're doing what you want instead of what they want you to do. And I think that's amazing. <laughs> I am, I am nowhere near the badass magical beach armor that Iggy is. <laughs> well, okay. Nobody is. All of Iggy, yeah. because Iggy is this no. fictional, magical, wonderful no. princess, not princess yes. thing. But, but <laughs> yeah. But if I was gonna, if I was gonna play poker with somebody in this movie, it would be Iggy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, um, it was there anything else that stood out to you in terms of? your experience of the South or just Southern culture in general? Um, I just wanted to point out that Evelyn was shopping at the Winn-Dixie, yes. <laughs> which we talked about in the other Jessica Sandy <laughs> movie, Driving Miss Daisy. Yes. Um, yes. If I can't have the Piggly Wiggly, then I want the Winn-Dixie. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think there's a, a quote, a conversation that Iggy and Sipsy are having about Grady that really could go into all three of these sections authentically Southern, problematic, and also it tickles me pink. And so I'm just going to go ahead and talk about it up front. They're they're talking about how Grady has changed since he was a child. When he was a child, he played with the black children and the white children, Mm -hmm. and they were all just children together. And now that he's grown, you know, Iggy calls him out on being a member of the KKK and and wearing the hoods. And so... Mm -hmm. Iggy says, she's having a conversation with Sipsy and says, he won't even sit in the same room and have a meal today. And Sipsy comes back with the best line ever. Oh, it don't make no kind of sense. Big old ox like Grady won't sit next to a colored child, but he eats eggs. Shoot right out of chicken's ass. (laughs) (laughs) And, I mean, one, it's true. I mean, I think that's Mm -hmm. definitely... Children are not born segregated. That's something you learn. And so when you're a child, everybody kind of plays together. And then as you you grow older and and you learn those differences, um, I think that was a really good way of of showing that, describing that. Obviously, Mm -hmm. it's problematic because it's segregation and and the KKK and Grady is completely and 100% racist. Oh, yeah. But Sipsy 
shoots right out of a chicken's ass. Just tickles me pink. So. It was so <laughs> funny. Well, and, and Sipsy was awesome in this. And I love the badassery that she has when she stands up to Frank mm-hmm. and, you know, in her quiet, scratchy voice, you know, with her broom and says, I'm not afraid of you. Even though he can snap her neck right there. I love her. I mean, there there is <laughs> there is just a steely badassery to that woman, and it's fantastic. Oh yeah, you can see it in the way she takes care of everybody. Yes, I, I just I adore her, and I have to tell you, I had forgotten that it was her who killed Frank until we I got to the oh. end of the movie this time around. I was thinking the whole time that it was Iggy, and mm-hmm. and then they showed what really happened, and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I forgot that, but it makes so much sense. Yeah. And and it's interesting, too, because, like, I always think of this as a mystery and, uh, you know, as a genre. Mm -hmm. And that's not really how they classify it. But, like, you're sort of waiting to find out who done it until the end. Well, see, I guess I don't look at it the same way because my assumption is that Iggy did it and we're just trying to see how she's going to get out of it. And so I I Uh, never, it never even occurred to me that somebody else would have done it. Oh, no, I never thought Iggy did it. I think I think taking a life would have changed Iggy a lot, and we don't see her change in that way. Um, as much as, as I think she would have been capable, and as much as she would have felt vindicated doing it, it would have changed her. And we don't see her go through that. Right. Um, so I, I, never, I never thought she did it. Uh, and she says she doesn't, and Iggy doesn't lie. You know, she's very honest. Um, but I've true. always kind of thought of this. Yeah, I've I've always thought of this as as a mystery story and not as a comedy. I don't know where they even get comedic elements to describe the movie. The food um, fight. It's not funny. I guess. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. That's not comedy. That <laughs> That is erotic as all holy hell. Oh, it really is. And they might be giggling, you know, but... That's sex. That's not humor. Uh, you are absolutely right. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, well, I guess you can combine the two. <laughs> you know, but I, I would just have seen this as more of a, almost a Southern Gothic mystery story if I was classifying it. I mean, well, and I'm, maybe that half of it, maybe Kathy Bates half, maybe Evelyn's story is different. Yeah, that's true. But she's, but she's part of the mystery because she's the audience for mm-hmm. the mystery. So, I don't know. I just completely made all that up. I'm arguing off the cuff. That's fine. <laughs> That's what we're here for. So, what about the movie did you not like? What's problematic? What's in your bless your heart section? Um. Well, you've covered, well, you will cover. Your notes cover a lot <laughs> of the things that I wanted to put in this section. And, and that's partially because I'm still, even though we came up with the framework for this show together... <laughs> I'm still a little fuzzy on what goes in the problematic section because I think in my brain when we first started talking about the show, I was assuming that the problematic bits were going to be the problematic ways that Southerners are portrayed rather than just things that are problematic in general. And so in this movie, I don't have any problematic issues with the way Southern culture is portrayed because it's done very, very well, particularly for the time period the story is set in. But racism and the KKK and segregation and all of those things are very, very problematic, but they're true. And so I I struggle with figuring out where to put those 
um, in the conversation, if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. So I'm going to let you take most of those since you have specific notes on those things. And I'm going to talk about the one thing in this movie that bothers me every single time I watch it. And it's not problematic with how the South is portrayed or anything like that. It's, It's a story slash narrative issue with the movie because they lean really, really, really heavily on trying to make you think that Miss Threadgood is Iggy in this movie. Yes. But they didn't really think it through because a lot of the things that she actually says means it's impossible for her to be Iggy. <laughs> like mm-hmm. saying she married Iggy's brother. Right. Um, saying she had a huge <laughs> crush on Buddy, who was also Iggy's brother. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, just little things like that, but then you get to the end, and they really, really lean heavily on you know the beach armor having left honey at Ruth's grave and saying it must be Iggy and Evelyn smiling real big and said maybe we'll see her today, you know, and that mm-hmm. always always frustrates me because it just doesn't make sense, and I know mm-hmm. that in the book they're very very clearly two different characters. Yes, so that's just. It's always frustrated me, and I don't like it. I wish they had just picked one direction and went with it instead of trying to be clever. Because I think they were just trying to be clever, and it didn't work. Yeah, I think so, too. And and her, her like, possibly being Iggy doesn't need to be this big, mysterious thing, because you're right. I mean, they've sort of already canceled that out at the beginning. Right. <laughs> and it's, unless we're doing, like, Star Wars Luke and Leia here... <laughs> And the writers are just gonna like, hey, this this is awesome. Let's not think about what it means for the plot, um, which I don't think is a great idea. Yeah, um, yeah. Although the honey at Ruth's grave at the end is beautiful. I mean, it's just a sweet thing, and I'm glad Evelyn gets to see it. But I think they could have represented that without trying to shed that confusing light, you know, on who that character really is. Right. If. If they had had Jessica Tandy play that character slightly different in that moment, because it's really that moment at the end that that leaves it mm-hmm. so ambiguous. And if Jessica Tandy hadn't played that moment with that sly, mysterious smile, with the camera mm-hmm. lingering on her face, if they had just done that a little bit differently, I think it would have been fine. Yeah, I think so, too. It's a good point. All right, so So why don't we jump into your list of problematic issues? (laughs) Well, so, but now I'm questioning the theoretical framework of my bless your heart section. Because, (laughs) like, I, with reckless abandon, I just pull out everything about the movie that bothers me and put it in this section. And I didn't run it through the filter of, is this problematic for Southern culture or is this just things that, bother me about the movie well no and I think that's Um, wonderful and that's why um when I saw your notes I immediately thought oh good we still get to talk about these things even though I didn't know where to put them so I'm glad that it works (laughs) for you to just put everything in one bucket so well you know you invent a theoretical framework and then you bend the hell out of the (laughs) theoretical framework (laughs) that's just how I roll absolutely um (laughs) So I guess we'll start with, and maybe this is indicative of Southern culture, but the total and complete lack of train safety. Like, come on now. A train hits one person in your family 
and you really don't like instill a strong fear of trains and everyone else in your family. No. Or just, does anyone teach train safety in this town? Like, okay, <laughs> Kelly, does anybody teach train safety in this country? <laughs> just, I mean, come on. Really? Like, I know we have a thing with trains and it's especially bad in the South, but come on. I mean, walking so, down the train tracks is like a pastime, like an official pastime in the South. That's what uh, we do. Yes. I know, and it's ridiculous, and we're all crazy. But <laughs> so, like, and um, and it was so. There are moments. It had been years since I've seen this movie, and there were two essential plot points that somehow I completely forgot. Mm-hmm. And one of them was Buddy getting hit by the train. And I don't. I don't know how. I think I blocked it because it was so painful. <laughs> and. So I was, like, enjoying this little sweet part of the movie. I ha- I've always had a huge crush on Chris O'Donnell. I love watching him. I loved Buddy's character. He was so full of life and so full of joy and so sweet and such a great brother and so full of happiness and just one of these people that needs to stay on the earth. And so, of course, he gets his freaking foot caught in a train track and gets smashed by a train because it's just a waste and it drives me crazy and I can't stand that kind of loss and I can't stand the train hitting him. And I think I was traumatized and horrified by that. And then I thought, how did I forget that this is how the story starts? (laughs) Like I totally forgot. Honestly, I forgot too (laughs) until it happened and I'm sitting there staring at the screen in horror. I've got my hands covering my mouth thinking this can't happen. He's going to get free. He's just going to, cause I had remembered that a limb got lost but I couldn't remember which right? one it was. And so I'm Me thinking, too. oh, he's just going to lose his foot. It's fine. It's totally fine. Right. It's going to be fine. Yeah. And then, no. and then, though, you see him get loose. But instead mm-hmm. of going to the right, he freaking goes to the left onto the tracks. And that's why he dies. Like, he didn't have to die if he had just gone the right way. Yeah. And I, at that point, was not watching oh. because I had to close my eyes yeah. because I was, like, shrieking in horror. And But also this lends a southern flavor like this is southern gothic this is how it rolls Mm -hmm. right there is going to be this tragic element to this story but god i just to see a light like that go out breaks my heart so i hated it um and and there were several times in this movie i just had to close my eyes i I could not watch it um the scene with them whipping big george when the kkk comes i can't I, i can't like, I cannot, I can't watch it. Those men hiding behind their KKK capes, you know, they're just cowards of the worst kind, and they make me sick, and there are no consequences for these men. And and I think that that was sort of a running theme for so many of the bad guys in this movie. There's just no consequences for them, you know, until finally Frank dies, but that was an accident. And it, it just bothers me that stuff like that continues to happen, and... It seems to keep happening, and it seems to happen a lot in the South, that men get away with violence and nothing ever happens to them. And, like, the scene in the in, toward the beginning when Iggy and team go to save Ruth from Frank's house, and he sets her down, like, you know he's going to push her down those stairs. Yeah. Or at least I yeah. Like, there's no question. And I can't watch it. And, like, nothing happens after he does that to her. There's no consequence for him. Mm-mm. 
And then he's back, you know, he's in their town and he's being a stalker and he gets close to that baby's crib. And I just, I'm, I want to scream, you know, and there's just nothing in place to stop him. So it always bothers me. And, and I really hate, and, and, and this is like, you're taking Southern Gothic and you're adding kind of this ancient mythology to it, but you have this feeding your enemies to your enemies, you know, in sort of this epic mythology that comes to this small southern town um, with the barbecue and the way that that goes down with Frank's body. I, I have always disliked those stories and mythology. It's just so brutal. And it added an element of brutality to this movie that bothers me. Because I keep wondering, like, please tell me they only fed that barbecue to the people they didn't like. Like, if they had it labeled, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I will say I was I was concerned about that this watch, you know. Good. I'm, I think Frank got what was coming to him, and I think they did what they oh, needed yeah. to do to make the problem go away. And so I don't really fault them for that. But at the same time, mm-hmm. they literally chopped up and cooked this man and fed him to people who were buying food from their restaurants. Yes. See that now Frank getting his end. I have no problem with cooking Frank up in a special sauce and serving him with potato salad. I I have a problem with that. It's just, you know, there's, there's that whole new line there of barbarism. Um, And it, it does interesting things from the story from a mythological standpoint, but it, it always has bothered me. And so I, I didn't particularly care for that. It was like, we're adding in, let's just add like a dash of Flannery O'Connor. And now let's add like a dash of, you know, the ancient Greeks. Yeah. And we're going to keep mixing this up until we just reach a certain level of horror that we're going to take away from. It, it. It's not quite balanced with the comedy that we're getting from Evelyn's story. You know, this, this, this is dark. But I. And it gets really dark. I think it's supposed to be funny, though. Honestly. It's played yeah, it as comedy. It's funny for me. But I know, but it doesn't it doesn't ring that way for me. Yeah. So until this watch, it's always been funny to me. I mean, it's also been vaguely horrifying because I would never want to eat a person. But mm-hmm. it's always just been f- funny the way they shot it, like the cinema cinematography and mm-hmm. the cuts back and forth, Sipsy saying secrets in the sauce, the guy ate four plates. Of barbecue, yeah, Frank barbecue. You know, it's just. Yeah. I think they wanted it to be funny. I think they wanted it to be funny. It just doesn't ring funny for me. Yeah. Um, so that's why it's in my bless your heart section, and <laughs> then the the whole corrupt justice system. You know, the the cop who came looking for Frank was a jerk. I hate how he talks to everyone, especially how he calls Big George boy. Um, the fact that he hounded that case for five years, it's like, really, buddy, you ain't got nothing better to do. Like, there is no other crime in Alabama or Valdosta. This is all you got. Yeah. Um, I was thinking that, too. I was like, how <laughs> realistic is it that five years later, he's still looking for this guy? Like, I don't really yeah. think so. I think he just got a hankering for barbecue. I'm not <laughs> really sure what was going on with him. Um <laughs> But I did not find it particularly convincing. And in the trial, you know, the prosecuting attorney was just disgusting. But 
even on trial under oath, you know, when they're asking Ruth, you know, why did you leave your husband? And and they're asking Iggy, why did you come and get Ruth? Like no one says, oh yes, Frank was beating me to death and would probably end up killing me. Like, I just like, what is the deal with that? I, I, because it wouldn't have mattered uh, because it wasn't against the law uh, for that to happen. Frank's wife was his property and he can do with it what he wants. But you would still think this is an opportunity to at least state your case. And neither women said, I I mean, neither woman said anything. I don't think so because it wouldn't have done any good. And they know it wouldn't have done any good. And that's why they chose not to. And that's why I think they were trying to rely on vagueness and friendship to, to tell the truth without telling the truth. Which is probably really not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I did think I did think it was a little badass of Ruth and her very you know crooked smile to say because she's my best friend and I love her. <laughs> yeah. And let's just leave that open for the sexual tension award, which is the next part of my bless your heart section. Um, which I don't understand why this goes in the bless your heart section unless it's because <laughs> there was no release <laughs> to that tension. Yeah, that is why. I am sorry, but. There is an orgasm missing from this movie. And it is <laughs> <laughs> they just draw it out. The the obvious love and attraction between these two women mm-hmm. is so beautifully played and is so real and never comes to you know comes to play out on screen. Right. Um and I understand the time period and I get that, but that I would just say of of sexual tension award movies, this one would be a winner. <laughs> <laughs> and then she dies young, and you have this huge loss of opportunity for love. And I just hate that kind of loss. Yeah, you know. So that's why it's in my problematic section. I think it's played out beautifully between the two of them. I mean, it's it's astonishing. It's wonderful. Between the two of them. But I hate seeing that kind of loss between two people who have something real. Yeah. You know, anything else for you now that I have <laughs> ranted and raved and bless your heart? Does it spark? You want to rant, Mandy? You got any rants? <laughs> I don't have any rants about this movie. And, and this, this podcast is about the movie. All right. Well, what about things that made you happy? What tickled you pink about this movie? So, (laughs) Evelyn and Mr. Redgood have been talking and talking and talking. And Mr. Redgood has given Evelyn advice that she needs to start going on hormone therapy because she's probably going through the change of life and all that stuff. And it's not long after that that Evelyn decides to (laughs) completely destroy the car of these two young women who steal her parking space. And she's regaling Miss Threadgood with this story. And Miss Threadgood just stops in the middle of the hallway. And, like, as deadpan as possible, she asks, How many of them hormones you taking, honey? (laughs) I mean, it's just funny. It's just funny. It's great. Um, The other super funny things to me, they threw a funeral for Buddy Jr.'s arm. (laughs) <laughs> it cracks me up every time. The first time I saw this movie, I thought Buddy Jr. had died too. And then to find that it was, here lies his arm. He was a good pal. 
<laughs> that Iggy named it Stump. I mean, who who has a funeral for an arm that got cut off by a train? I mean, <sighs> and then during the trial, the prosecutor is just pushing and pushing and pushing Iggy, trying to get her to talk and to say that she killed Frank. And I'll be honest with you, I don't even remember exactly what he said that she's responding to, but she just blows up and she goes, That's right, you gump-faced, blown-up, baboon-ass bastard. (laughs) And it's just so much alliteration and so wonderful, and she does it with a complete straight face. Mm -hmm. I I can't help but love it. And then the preacher, (sighs) who Iggy has given a hard time to her entire life, gets up there on the stand and lies for her and gives her an alibi. He doesn't know that she didn't do it. I'm assuming that he believes her, but I don't know. He, You know, I, I just don't know. But he chooses to stand up for Ruth and for Iggy, and so he lies. And the way that he got around swearing on the Bible is that he brought his own copy, which was actually a copy of Moby Dick. Yeah, and that was really great. <laughs> I, I mean, it just doesn't get any better than that. Yeah, it was really great. I loved it when he when he asked the the prosecutor, he was like, "Now, do you go to church?" And the <laughs> prosecutor was like, "Oh, of course." Yeah, yeah. And he said, "Well, you know, if you came to our revivals, you would know they last three days and three <laughs> nights." And the whole jury's just nodding. Yep. <laughs> it was it was really funny, yep. but. Yeah, swearing on a copy of Moby Dick was great. (laughs) Yeah. And then uh, the last moment that I just absolutely loved is one that you've touched on. It's not funny, but it's an example of absolute bad astery, and it's another Sipsy moment. It's when Frank comes in, and she is trying to get him not to go into where the baby is, and she's holding that broom, and she just yells at him, Mm -hmm. I ain't scared of you, no, sir. And she's, like, trying to sweep him out with the broom before he Mm -hmm. grabs it and hits her with it. But she just, she is fearless, and she knows what he can do to her, and she still stands up to him. And for that, I love her. I love her to pieces. Yeah. I love Sipsy. She's fantastic. And I'm glad that she's the one that takes Frank down. Yeah, and the way it happens is so not even important. Like, that's not the point of the story. Right. And it's just done really well, and I really like it, and, and I love her character. Me too. I think she's fantastic. All right, Kelly, it's time for you to gush. What tickled you pink? (laughs) Well, I love Iggy, you know, full of fight and fire, bee charmer that she is. I love her. Because you are Um, her. I am not her. I would love to be her, but I love her. And I love when Ruth, when Ruth is asking Iggy to come and get her from Frank's house, she sends she just sends a verse from the Bible, from the book of Ruth. And all it says is, where thou goest, I will go. And Iggy knows exactly what that means. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's such a beautiful love letter between the two of them. And I just thought that that was gorgeous, you know. And I love how Iggy tells the lake story to Smoky Lonesome when he's in alcohol withdrawal. You know, and he's shaking too hard to eat his food and she walks him outside of the cafe And she just hands him the bottle of liquor because she knows why he's shaking. And I know that that's a form of enablement and it probably, you know, is not the best thing to do. But it was also an act of kindness 
from her to him. And I, I just thought it was a beautiful moment. And I loved when Ruth was talking about how she had always turned to prayer. Like when her mother was dying, she would pray. And when Frank would beat her, she would pray. And when this bad thing would happen, she would pray. And then she gets this very steely expression on her face. And she says, but if Frank comes back for my baby, I won't pray. Mm-hmm. And you can see that change in her. You know, I think that that was very well done. And then after we find out about the preacher lying on the copy of Moby Dick, um, <laughs> and, and Ruth is telling Iggy about the deal that they worked out, Iggy says, I don't know what's worse, church or jail. <laughs> I just thought that was really funny. Yeah. And I was really glad that Evelyn went to get Ninny at her house. Like when she knows that the house has been, you know, torn down. And that she's going to be sitting there waiting that she goes and gets her and takes her home. You know, and I love Sipsy. But I think probably the moment that killed me and lit me up at the same time, I completely forgot that Ruth died young of cancer. And and, and I think I, I just had blocked it out because watching it this time, I was like, how did I forget that she died? Like, how did I forget this? And... <laughs> When she's, you know, laying there on, on her deathbed with and Iggy's in the room and, and Ruth asks, you know, tell me the story. And she wants to die, you know, being told the story, like basically, you know, being carried away by a bedtime story by someone she loves. Mm-hmm. I love your stories. Tell me a story, Iggy. Go on your beach, Emma. Tell me a good tall tale. Tell me the one about the lake. What lake? The one that used to be here. Oh. Well, that was just a lie. I know that, fool. And it's such a beautiful thing. Um, And it's so sad and it's so tender and it it just wrecked me. Yeah. And I thought it was exquisitely done. So there's a lot to love about this movie. There is a lot to love about this movie. This is a great movie. It really is. But I had a question about it. Okay. (laughs) So I put this in the other thoughts section because I didn't know where to put it. But we have... Multiple timelines here, and we have, like, completely different characters going through, you know, different things. And we have comedy, and we have horror, and we have love, and we have tragedy, and we have mystery, and we have humor. We have all of these things, you know, coming together. So, what do you think this movie is ultimately about? Because, you know, it feels like it could be about choosing love, but it's also about loss. You know, and it's about trying to live with passion and joy in spite of loss. But is it also about finding and choosing your family or drawing your line? Or like, I cannot come up with a thesis statement about this movie. So I need your thoughts. I think this movie is about finding yourself. Because Ruth finds herself. Evelyn finds herself. And in... In a way, Iggy finds herself, even though she kind of always knew who she was, a lot of what she did as a child was in reaction to doing the opposite of what she was supposed to do. And we get that rebellion from her 
for most of the movie. But in the end, she is doing things for other people, not for herself. And so I think in a way, for all three of those characters, this movie is about how they went from being what they were supposed to be, or in Iggy's case, the opposite of what they're supposed to be, to being who they really want to be and who they really are. But that think might that be fantastic, too Mandy. simplistic. No, I think it's wonderful. I think you just gave me a lot of clarity about this movie. Because I was trying to look at it as a whole, and there's a lot going on in there. But I think you're right, that if you look at those three characters and those three specific journeys, mm-hmm. that you can you can get that kind of clarity around it. Yeah, I mean, it's about... It is about loss, and it is about love and joy and passion, but it's about finding yourself through those things and learning who you are as you deal with them. You are fantastic. Thank you. I love that. (laughs) Yes. Like, seriously, you just added a whole level of appreciation for me for this movie. Okay. That's great. Well, I'm glad. It's great. And I'm really glad we watched it because I haven't seen it in a very, very long time. And I haven't read the book in years and years and years. Um, And I kind of want to go and reread the book now. I do want to read the book. I'm a little bit afraid to read the book. Um, It's it's weird because (laughs) I used to own this book, but I never read it. And I no longer own it. I don't actually know what happened to it. But I'm kind of afraid to read it because for me, this movie is... Mary Louise Parker and Mary Stuart Masterson, Jessica Tandy and Kathy Bates. And Mm -hmm. to read them on the page in a voice that was written before they were embodied by those characters might disappoint me. The book is a little different. So, yeah, I mean, I Fanny Flagg did write the screenplay, too. So she she had a a hand in it, but it's still going to be different. It is different. The book is great, but it is different. But I I kind of love the idea that. I mean, I think most times I'm probably more partial to the book than the movie. But I love the idea that the opposite can be true. And that maybe whichever form of a story you love first is your form of that story. Sometimes. Not always. Yeah. But sometimes. Right. But sometimes. <laughs> but that's wonderful that you have that kind of love for this movie. I do. Now, before we wrap up, I do have a confession to make that's going to make everybody question my Southern credibility. Not possible. What is this confession? I don't like fried green tomatoes. Oh, bless your heart. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Mandy Kay. Don't. I'm sorry. (laughs) Green tomatoes are tomatoes that are not ripe. And I don't want to eat Um, them. And I don't care if you batter them up and fry them. It doesn't make them better. I can't do well, it. <laughs> fried green tomatoes are delicious, <laughs> but that does not take away from your southern creds. You are talking to a woman who does not like football or bacon or <laughs> <laughs> so many things that are traditionally southern. So you're fine. Okay. All right. All right. We'll see. <laughs> southern creds in full standing. All right. So. What are we watching next week? Next week, we are going to be talking about Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood. Oh, boy. Another lighthearted, easy movie that is sure <laughs> to tear me into little bitty, teeny tiny pieces. <laughs> oh, no, it's going to be so good because I have to tell you, I honestly don't entirely remember what the movie is about. Oh, it's been a long time it, since I've seen it. I used to own it on DVD. I don't think I do anymore. 
but it's a good it's a good movie i remember loving it i mean that's why i owned it but it's been a long time it punches me right in the heart (laughs) apparently southern movies do that to us apparently they do All right. Well, we want to hear from you. If you want to join the conversation on Twitter, use the hashtag SFPOP. Tell us about your experiences growing up in the South or how you felt watching this movie. You can find me on Twitter at Mandy Kay, or you can email us at podcast at eloquentgushing.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Dr. Kelly Jones, at southernfriendscholar.com, on the Southern Fried Scholar podcast, or on the Big Strong Yes podcast with Lonnie Diane Rich. And Southern Fried Pop Culture is funded by supporters like you through our Patreon page. For exclusive content and more, please visit us at patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. Thanks to Jazzy Bentley for our amazing show music. Thanks, y'all. You want to hear just what I think, but I don't walk around to For more information, please visit eloquentgushing.com or visit us on Twitter at eloquentgushing.